0: Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachob, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dr. Frank Lipman is the chief medical officer at the Well, a New York Times bestselling author, and my own personal doctor—someone who I could say probably even saved my life. He is a true pioneer in the field of functional medicine, and it's always an honor to have him here on the podcast. Dr. Frank Lipman so great to have you here. Lovely to be here, as always. So it's fall New York. Mood tends to be on people's mind with the change of the seasons, shorter days, so forth. Let's talk about mood. Right.
1: I mean, we don't realize that we as humans are part of nature. We are microcosms of the macrocosm. So our bodies change with the seasons. And, um, you know, from, from summer into fall... It, our bodies change, and one of the things that uh, changes is, is mood. Um, and that's normal. So people shouldn't get upset. But there are ways of working around that. You know, in Chinese medicine, it's interesting because they take that into account. And in terms of acupuncture, they'll say at, you get at least four treatments a year. And, and with the change of the season, is one of those four, te- you know, one of the four treatments, you know, with each change. So acupuncture helps, obviously. But you know, getting outside early in the morning, getting light, exercising, um, really important. Um, More important to get sleep, Um, and then you know, if you need some supplements, uh, sometimes even probiotics can help because you know most of us don't realise that the gut is a second brain. So. I just saw a study fairly recently that they found certain strains of probiotics actually affect your mood. Hmm. So, uh, you know, Off probiotics are... Do you know
0: which one's offhand? Or I it was a
1: type of lec- uh, lactobacillus helviticus, I think, and then a, another strain of bifidobacteria. But I don't... I have no experience with it. I just sure. saw hmm. that recently, and, and I'm, you know, obsessed about the gut, and, and I do think how the functioning of your gut and how your gut is affects your mood. So it's interesting that they're coming up with probiotics that may affect your mood. Interesting.
0: So don't be nocturnal. That's that's a big thing. When the days are shorter, make sure you exactly. get out, you get some sunlight. Don't just... Most important is getting some sunlight and just moving your body more. Got it. So speaking of sunlight, something we we'll talk about here is vitamin D. And some people will say well, you know, I live in a warm, climate. I live in LA or somewhere sunny, do, you know, do I need vitamin D? Let's talk about, and it seems to be there's also a relationship with, with sun, which is flipped, where it used to be, oh, you're getting too much sun, we don't want too much sun, so let's talk about vitamin D and sun and the relationship and the need for it. Sure, so vitamin D, first of all, is a hormone, it's not a vitamin,
1: and vitamin D is essential in the making of and, you know hundreds of enzymes and proteins in the body, it affects over 200 genes. Um, vitamin D is essential for heart health, for your immunity, for brain health, uh, for bone health, obviously. So vitamin D is one of those essential hormones or nutrients that we need. And in spite of traditional medicine and, and the media that I've seen lately saying we don't need, you know mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a hype. Um, I find, you know, because I measure everyone's vitamin D in my office, it's one of the standard tests I do, and I'd say at least 70% of people I see have low vitamin D levels. Wow. So there's obviously something happening. Either we're not getting enough sun, or which is actually normally how you'd get vitamin D. The sun hits your skin and it converts something in your skin to create the active vitamin d either we're not getting enough sun or something is preventing that conversion in our body so you know either you always get your vitamin d checked and either take a supplement of vitamin d and if you are taking a supplement i think it's important to realize that vitamin d is a fat soluble vitamin so always take with fat a lot of people just take vitamin d and they don't take it with fat olive oil, coconut oil, avocado, whatever fat you're eating. But if you don't take it with fat, it's not going to be absorbed. And also vitamin D works with vitamin K. So, you know, try to find a vitamin D which has vitamin K in and take it with
0: fat. Vitamin K is also fat soluble. So also too, I, I know friends in the West Coast who live in California, they still have the issue. So not necessarily sun also.
1: Exactly. I mean, you know, when I speak to friends of mine, doctors in in California, they say there's an epidemic of vitamin D deficiency too. So obviously it's not only not getting enough sun because that is an issue because we, you know, petrified of the sun. We've been brainwashed to think that sun is bad. But obviously there's something about what's happening in the environment or in our bodies that's not letting us convert the sun hitting our, our bodies and then converting it into vitamin d okay. and what's interesting i also saw another study recently showing that sun affects your prob- your your microbiome hmm. it actually helps with the diversity of your microbiome, so sun is actually good for you. You just got to be smart
0: about it. So get some sun, have your vitamin D, and make sure you have an avocado right next to it. Absolutely, <laughs> exactly. So something else we've talked about, and you have a, a really interesting point of view, is you know this word detox, which for some people is a loaded word. But you have a an opinion on what's a good detox versus a bad detox.
1: Right, I have a strong opinion about it because I've <laughs> been doing detox.
0: But you know, detox is a loaded word.
1: I think people need to understand that our body is detoxing all the time. We have detoxification systems in our body. It's, it's a natural function of our body, our gut and our liver in particular, but our skin, our lungs, we are detoxing all the time. So to me, a detox is a way of supporting our body's natural detoxification systems. And to me, a detox is not the be all and end all, it's an entry point into healthy living. So what I've been doing in my practice for you know 15 no, more, probably at least 20 years is starting people on this what I would call a, a healthy detox to get them to feel better and then um, sort of uh, inspire or motivate them to get you know to, to continue eating well and living a healthier life so I see it as an entry point to healthy living and to me a detox is removing the foods and the chemicals that could be um, affecting your detox system negatively or affecting your body negatively and, and giving some nutrients to support your body's own detox system. So it's removing what could be harmful and adding or supporting nutrients to support your body's own detoxification mechanisms. That's, to me, a detox. I'm not into uh, juice cleansers, and uh, you know, there's so many cleansers and detoxes out there, but that's all it is to me is that you know, and actually, I think I did a, a program for some was it Mind Body Green or something on detox? I you did, I, uh, you did, but it's a healthy
0: <laughs> detox essentially, yeah, it's an elimination diet, exactly. And it's not, you know, yeah. And and the, an emphasis on eating more of the really good stuff, yeah. vegetables, whole foods, and taking out some of the processed exactly. Sugars.
1: I think when there's less strain on your body's own systems, on your own detox systems, they're going to function better.
0: And so, on the subject of detox and all the in my in my wellness journey and something you helped me deal with with parasites, which we'll touch on. I, I did all these. I tried all these crazy things, uh, where some people some people think they're crazy. So like colon hydrotherapy and I remember I asked you about it and you were like, eh.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, colonics are interesting. I mean, I'm neutral. I mean, I have patients who swear by them. I tried them, did nothing for me. Some people they do nothing for. Um, so if someone wants to do it, that's fine. It's not something I actively recommend, but I don't think it's necessarily harmful.
0: It's just not something I think is essential. And what what your reason your reasoning I remember was I thought was really interesting because you believe in our natural detox system, not like actually pulling something out. And you think our bodies, when they're functioning properly, do this naturally. Exactly. And and then you were worried about like we talk about the microbiome, the gut, the second brain. It's like, hey, you don't want to mess around with pulling stuff out.
1: Exactly. So yeah, I mean, it it could be. I mean, I I can't say I've seen patients who've had negative effects from colonics but just you know the idea of you know shoving all this water up your <laughs> butt and, it just doesn't doesn't H-I. jive with me that's all. i'm yeah. not i'm not ag- i'm really not against it and and I, I i have to say i have many many patients who've told me
0: it's really helped them so you know it's got to be Mutual. helpful some yeah. people swear by it yeah. some people don't like it yeah you're not you're not actively prescribing it exactly <laughs> so on those lines of like your patients and what you're seeing something you know we've talked about and i think it's just a general theme right now culturally is anxiety and so when someone comes in to see you and they're suffering from anxiety what are some of the first things you recommend in terms of diet
1: well anxiety is interesting cuz it's complicated you know anxiety yeah, there, there's so many reasons why we're anxious from you know, you can blame from your parents down to to everything else. Um, but, you know, the first thing I do with anxiety is clean out the gut because, you know, we just mentioned earlier the, the gut being the second brain. I've seen, you know, probably hundreds of patients who when you do a detox or you clean out the gut, you remove the foods that could be harming you, um, you support um, or you, sometimes you need to kill um, the the, the, back, the bad bacteria, the bad guys in the gut, so you use antimicrobials. I would, I've seen hundreds of times when we do this type of thing, anxiety gets better. Now that's probably one cause of the anxiety. Um, you know, some people need therapy, some people need to exercise more, some people need to sleep more or sleep better. Um, some people need to get more light. There's so many... Natural things one can do for anxiety. Um, I use herbs a lot. There's um, some some magic nutrients that I find. Just take the edge off. L-theanine is one of them. GABA mm-hmm. GABA is another one of them. Magnesium can help. Great for so, sleep too. Yeah, and sleep. Often the people don't sleep properly because they're anxious or they're right. stressed. So. I think anxiety is obviously there's a low-grade epidemic going on, um, and especially in younger people. I think uh, I see a lot of you know millennials and even younger who are anxious for some reason. It's very common. You know, my daughter's a, a therapist and she works in my office, and her practice is full of young millennials who are anxious. So. Um, I think anxiety, the, probably the, the, the last resort, and, and definitely not the first resort, and, and usually it's not necessary, is drugs. There's so many
0: healthier ways of dealing with anxiety. Sure. And one of the things I love about, the many things I love about you, but one of the things, you mentioned drugs, you're, you're very open to everything. And sometimes you'll say, you know, all right, we're going to try X, Y, and Z. And then other times you said, you need to take the drug. And I remember years ago when I came to you and, I, I, and my gut was all messed up and I actually was getting anxious and I'm someone who doesn't get anxious. And you said to me, I think you have a, a bug, a parasite. And turns out I did. And I said, you know, what do I do, Frank? You know, do I do the herbs and all this? You're like, you need to take the antibiotics and then you need to supplement with the herbs. Right. And right away I was like, no, we need to take this period but we need to supplement with the herbs and you have a whole process for the herbs. Um, When you have situations like that where you're like, how do you look at like East versus West and what do you think most people miss there? Is it an openness to both?
1: Yeah, I think to me it's not even, I'm not conflicted at all because when someone needs drugs, I'll give them drugs. It's you, you, you know, most of the things that I see in my practice, you don't need medication but parasites is is one of those areas. Most of the time, I start off with medication, and most of the times, not every time. Most of the time, we start off with uh, you know Western pharmaceuticals, and then we'll move on to herbs and other things. So, I you know I've been doing this so long. I'm very very rarely um, in a bind of should I use medication or not. You know, I always try and not use medication, and and. Usually you don't need medication, but when you need medication, you need medication. That's so I'll, u-
0: I'll use that example where I came in, you're like, no, nope, antibiotics got to do it. N- you know, non-starter if you want to get better. And then just a couple months ago, I get bad sinuses every like fall, like clockwork. And it was so bad. And I also flew, which I found out it was like one of the worst things. I remember landing and my head was just like throbbing. And, and I was like, Frank, what do I do? <laughs> and you're like, I was like, "Is there anything you can give me? Any you know?" I was just, I couldn't function. And you're like, "You need, you need acupuncture. You need some herbs, right?" And, and I was like, "Oh, it's not working." You're like, and you went a little silent. <laughs> and then, sure enough, a couple of days later, gone. Right. So sinus problems are an area where
1: almost most time, well, most times you do not need antibiotics, and that's an area that doctors just give antibiotics. My experience has been, you know. Close to 100% at times sinusitis does not need antibiotics. Occasionally, I'll give antibiotics when everything else is not working, but it's it's very rare that you need antibiotics for a sinus infection.
0: And I, w- I was amazed how I just gave it a couple more days. I noticed how, you know, as, as the wise doctor, you just became a little silent. <laughs> and then sure enough, I went away and it went away. Um, something else, you know, in, in my wellness journey my personal wellness journey you know i've talked about my, my parasite and, and sinuses and another thing that i discovered a couple of years ago and seeing you you know, my i'll be i'm 45 my father died of heart disease something we've talked about and i wanted to get a little more sophisticated around preventative testing and went to you know you did a, did a bunch of labs and one thing that stood out like a sore thumb was my homocysteine and you know, homocysteine is supposed to be under 15, ideally around 10. Mine was 63, and I remember you called me and you're like, and you told me, and I knew it was serious because you called me. Um, and I, I did some, and you said it's a mistake. Take it again. Right. <laughs> Took it again. wasn't a mistake. And um, and why having it that high can lead to clotting strokes but like catastrophic yeah. clotting like really serious and so right. and i'm a guy i see i'm pretty healthy i take care of myself but i was like holy cow like wow and i remember said I said well, what do i do you know is there meta you know again i ask you like is there medication is there surgery and you're like no i'm and you, you messenger it over i'll never for you see like i knew it was You know, again <laughs> it's like usually like you yeah, come by the office or i'll fed out, you know or go buy this you're like no no i'm sending it over right now and it was essentially was b vitamins and through that, I went from 63 to 12, and we're kind of hanging around in 12, and we're tweaking some things to, to get it down even further. But like 62 to 12 is like, holy cow. Right. Like, wow. And I, was, I started to think like, okay, what other things out there? It's homocysteine is one example that, you know, I'm blessed. I'm living in New York City. I have access to you. One of the best people in the world. Not everyone can see you. What are, what are other things that people aren't testing for where they could ask their doctor and say, hey, I I want to test for this. I don't want to just do cholesterol and whatever the -the run-of-the-mill blood pressure. Important markers, obviously, but like, what are the things that other people should be testing for that they're probably not?
1: Right, and uh, homocysteine is definitely one of them, and yours was particularly high. I don't think I've ever seen such a high homocysteine. I get the record. I'm also probably your tallest patient, (laughs) so. Um, You know, I do a lot of bloods because I find it helpful, but... um, Another marker that, which doctors don't do, which I think is very helpful, is uh, measuring the ratio between omega-3 fatty acids and omega-6 fatty acids, because many people have an imbalanced ratio. They have too many omega-6s, which are pro-inflammatory, and not enough omega-3s, which are anti-inflammatory. Basically, I mean, that's very uh, simplified, but that's sort of what it is. And so that you can measure that. You can measure your omega-3 levels. And I think I do that a lot, and a lot of people have a low ratio, and you just add fish oils, or what you know. If someone's vegetarian, they want to take flaxseed oil, or um, but I use a lot of fish oils for that. Um, vitamin D. Unfortunately, some people don't measure B12 levels. A lot of people don't measure magnesium levels, and and when you measure magnesium levels, you need to measure the red blood cell magnesium level, which is is more indicative of magnesium levels and the actual serum magnesium levels, which is what traditional doctors sometimes do. And magnesium is a key nutrient for so many functions in the body. So I think that's a important one. You know, we have a, a you know, now I've I started with two colleagues of mine who I've been working with f- for ages who you've seen, a holistic cardiologist and my hormone and my compounding pharmacist who's a hormone specialist and supplement specialist. We do a longevity program in the office where we do a lot more markers but uh, which not everyone has to do but one of the interesting ones we do especially as people are getting older is insulin growth factor mm. because as you sort of hitting 40 45 where you're hitting now um, your insulin you know if your insulin growth factor is high Something is stimulating growth, and that could be one of the early signs of can- it. Could be a cancer growing. So you, we usually, um, especially in older people, you know, in younger people having a high-ish insulin growth factor, it's not a bad thing, you know, because you're growing. But when you start reaching forty, forty-five, you've stopped growing, and now you're maintaining. And this is what we do with, with anti-aging stuff. So if your insulin growth factor level is high. That's something we, you need to look into. And the last test, which I think everyone should have, is, a, is an advanced lipid panel, which is much more extensive than the regular cholesterol test that the, your doctor does, which is really not particularly helpful. And An advanced lipid panel not only measures the particle size of the, the cholesterol, um, which is important, but it also measures other markers. It measures other inflammatory markers. It also measures whether you absorb your, your cholesterol is high because you're absorbing too much or making too much. So there are many things you can tweak in someone's diet and someone's supplement protocol from a more advanced lipid panel.
0: And, so, and those are standard tests that any right, doctor want can. Right, anyone can do that's what yeah, I like. It's just yeah. saying to your doctor, hey, do this also. Exactly, yeah. Pretty simple. So there's so much happening in science right now and in the world of wellness. What's particularly exciting to you? Well, I'm excited by all the anti-aging stuff because,
1: you know, now that I'm 65, I'm, (laughs) I'm more aware of, you know, how do you increase your health span and not your lifespan? So there's a big push towards finding markers and finding ways of improving People's health span—how long they stay healthy—rather than just improving, you know, increasing their lifespan. And what I find particularly interesting is a lot of the science today is confirming what I learned years ago in Chinese medicine. You know, basically, eat less, um, laugh more, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. deal with your stress, take sleep seriously. Um, uh, what else would be important? Um, move. Uh, yeah, move, move intelligently. Not just move more, but move intelligently because as you get older, when you injure yourself, it's harder to recover. So it's important to change the way you exercise according to your body. So, yeah, it's the basic things, you know, about sleeping, moving. But eating less is probably, um, and the whole idea of fasting is... Mm-hmm probably important. And, and something that I also learned years ago from my Chinese medicine teacher always used to talk about this, this concept of a little bit of stress is actually good for you. Yep. This concept of hormesis or a little bit of physical adversity actually is good for you and is anti-aging. So that's why fasting is good for you. You sort of, it's it's, um, you're not eating, so it stresses your body a little bit. Um, A little bit of high-intensity exercise, sort of a little bit of sprinting or moving quicker is, you know, a little bit of stress. Going from hot to cold, a little bit of stress. All these things that um, are really stressful, short-term stress on the body are actually good for you. They're this they're stressing your body a little bit enough to stimulate what we now, some people are now calling these longevity genes.
0: So, back to fasting. Essentially, it's it's time restricted eating Basically, in terms yes. of like benefits. Yeah. Do, you, do you see is it 13 hours, is it 14, is it 16, is it the whole like what do you what's your opinion on that?
1: Well, You know, they say it starts, you know, the changes, the concept of autophagy, where your body starts clearing debris, um, starts at about 14 to 16 hours. Um, I get people to slowly increase it. You know, 12 hours is better than 8 hours and go to 14, and then I try to get people to work between 14 and 16. I try to do 16 hours every day. I will have my coffee in the morning, but... You know, I, by the time I eat, you know, later today I'll have brunch or you know lunch. I just eat two meals now a day. I don't have breakfast, so that's pretty easy for most people. And I'm I'm getting seeing incredible results with you know just telling people to skip breakfast. Mm. Um, now it's not for everyone, and and I think people often need time to get into it because in the beginning it it's a little bit difficult, but as you do it more and more it becomes easier and easier and you know i don't really get hungry anymore it's it's really interesting and i eat two meals a day and i'm totally fine with two meals
0: so what i'm curious what's what's a day in the life of your meals what do they look like what's in them
1: well often at work i'll have um, at about 12 o'clock 11, 30, 12 you know when we maybe having a little bit of a break, my dawn makes a great shake for me. Dawn's my health coach. She puts collagen powder, um, vegetable protein, chocolate vegetable protein, um, sometimes a keto powder as well, and then just some almond milk and um, what else? I think that's basically what she does, and, uh, and some nut butter, some almond. Um, some almond butter and it's delicious, like having a chocolate ice cream for for lunch.
0: Okay, so we have to bring. You brought up nuts. so I have to ask you about nuts. You know.
1: Yeah, I love nuts. nuts but are but great. all
0: are you? You know, our our our, our dear friend Doctor Gundry doesn't like all the nuts. How do you? How do you? What's your take on on nuts and cashews? And well, cashews lectins?
1: aren't really nuts, so ca- ca- I know. cashews. But so cashews probably are the worst. If you're going to choose nuts, they're probably not the best nuts to eat. I'm, I'm, I think there's something to the lectins. I'm not saying, you know, everyone should eat tons of lectins. I, I think the more damaged your gut in is, the more problems you have with your gut, probably the more lectins you eat are, are, are a problem. And, and even in the diets that we recommend to patients in my office, we tend to try and decrease the amount of lectins. But I do think we've we got to be very Weary of making people obsessive about their foods. I think food is there to enjoy, especially in community, you know, around the table with your friends. To make people so obsessive about their food is not healthy. So you know, we encourage people to decrease lectins, but we don't even talk about lectins per se. But if people come in with severe autoimmune disease or severe gut problems, then that's different. Then I'm going to, you know, we need to be. We're a little bit stricter in the beginning. And we tell people this is a therapeutic diet. And as you get better, you'll be able to incorporate more food. So I'm not against nuts. I'm not against food. I'm not even well, against no, not gluten. I against
0: nuts. But, well, well, okay, we're going to come back to gluten. Yeah. But, but can you rank your nuts on, like the healthiest?
1: Well, I love my macadamia nuts. I have them in the freezer. And when <laughs> I want a snack, I just take a couple and actually... I think Seamus Mullen, my you know, you, we, our good friend Seamus taught me that, which is a great snack. I mean, it's full of fat, and I just you know, I just have a few nuts if I want to snack, macadamia nuts, and they're fine. But walnuts, almonds, um, you know, I love cashews, but cashews aren't my go-to nut about pistachios and pistachios That's uh, my favorite yeah i, I like eat pistachio. so many pistachios uh, yeah pistachio. we'll, f- we'll
0: find out if it Pist- changes my blood tests right but i eat a lot of pistachios that's yeah, good I, right I, but,
1: I think nuts are good for one I, you know for for the most part if nuts don't bother you and you know for, some people tell me well if they eat too many nuts they put on weight possible but i think as a general n- rule nuts are good for you oh 100 yeah.
0: i was just cur- curious your take on Yeah. The the cashews and peanuts.
1: Peanuts. Once again, peanuts are not nuts. I know. So I
0: don't recommend peanuts per se. Yeah. And so back, I want to backtrack. The man who loves, who I loves to, who's not a big fan of gluten says, I know. Well, um, I was just in
1: Europe and I had too many croissants and I don't have a problem with, you know, I've started thinking about what is the problem with gluten? Is it I'm not a fan of gluten, don't get me wrong. And I think in America, (laughs) gluten is a problem. But, you know, when I go to and if I have, you know, too much gluten, if if I do, which I hardly do here, you know, I actually feel it in my joints. I don't feel good. But when I go to Europe and I was eating two croissants a day, um, I was (laughs) fine. I was in Amsterdam and uh, no problem. I had... um, uh, there's a wonderful chef in New York City, Ryan Hardy, who runs Legacy Records and Piscardi Jones. He buys, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> from speaking to him and, and knowing him well, the way he makes his bread, he does use uh, wheat as part of it. He uses organic wheat, which has not been sprayed with glyphosate, which we should talk about. And then he ferments it for a week. He ferments these different grains together. And then he makes this most unbelievable bread I've ever tasted. It's delicious. And I I can eat it and I don't have a problem with it. Now, I'm not saying it's something healthy to eat. But if you are going to eat bread, um, you know, a bread like that, that's been fermented, that's organic, that hasn't been sprayed with glyphosate. So so gluten is a problem. Gluten is a rather what we've done to gluten in America, um, and is it possibly even what we sprayed it with? Because glyphosate, which, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, which is used mainly on genetically modified foods, is in America used to dry crops. Most grains are dried with glyphosate, so you spray you know, most of the grains that we're eating are, have been sprayed with glyphosate, which is also a registered antibiotic. So, what is the problem with the gluten? I'm not sure.
0: So, I want to go back to you eating croissants in vacation because that made me think of someone else we both know, also Jason Carp, who who had crazy serious autoimmune uh, on the podcast, and and he was saying how, you know, he's like, you know, I think we've all found this. You go on vacation. You're going off the diet, you're enjoying foods that, you know, maybe would give you a flare-up, but you're totally fine. Right. So I'm curious, how much of it is it, in your opinion, being on vacation, a little bit more relaxed and less stressed? And let's talk about that, you know, that's Absolutely. something that's hard to measure. Of course,
1: it could be that. and no, no question it could be that. I don't think it's just that, because I've heard too many times people telling me the same thing, and, you know... Um, I definitely can eat uh, more gluten in Europe than I can eat here. There's no question, and I, I've heard this hundreds, probably thousands of times now from patients. Sure. It's all saying the same thing. Sure. But I, 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 I agree with you. I think is it partly, you know, not not having stress and being on vacation. I'm sure that's part of it. Yeah. But, but I think,
0: I guess, where I'm traveling is with within our world, the wellness world. You know, for some people, it's like, okay, something's wrong and they change their diet and they go from feeling terrible and struggling to feeling amazing. And often uh, those choices and the diets they embrace can become religion. And then what you see happen is like there there starts to become like stress around the choices. And something I think we see a bit now is there's there becomes so much stress like okay you know we're, we're going out to dinner as a, a birthday celebration and the, the stress would you argue that sometimes the stress around making the healthy food choice can often be worse than being not stressed about making the more let's just say indulgent choice
1: i haven't uh, uh, my answer is Absolutely, yes, I think the stress of and being neurotic and dogmatic about it is probably worse for you than eating a little bit. Now some people no, some people really get a flare up with certain food. Sure. Um, and the more balanced someone's microbiome is, the less chance that's going to happen. But yes, I think the stress and you know the of, of uh, eating this food is, is worse. so I, I think yes, I agree with you, I think that's a problem. and I think that's happening in many aspects of our life today, because, you know, we're all measuring different things. We're measuring our sleep. Um, So, you know, the concept of orthorexia, being neurotic Mm -hmm. about your food, and now there's this concept of orthosomnia, when you're measuring your sleep, and if you don't sleep (laughs) properly, you—so I think we've got to be careful of that, because I think those are real.
0: As I've, I've, I've joked I know when I don't sleep well yeah <laughs> I don't need and a I reminder of it
1: right so but you know now with this biohacking and everyone um, measuring everything it makes people some people and you're right some people it's very helpful for and and I find it helpful but for some people, it makes them more neurotic. It's well, not
0: healthy. And, and it's a balance, you know. I, I use the example of okay, I do these extensive labs with you now, but then I find out things like, holy cow, I've got this crazy marker that if I didn't do anything about, like, exactly could be not a good thing, and so through supplements i'm i'm okay now and we're ahead of it and like that's a good example of like we're we're more information and and a little bit of biohacking is a very good preventative thing absolutely but then it can go a little you know too far and then you can become too stressed about it and then it's
1: absolutely and that's why i say you know when people ask me you know what are your Give me your anti-aging tips in a line. It's like eat less and laugh more. You got to have some humor about it, and you got to loosen up. Yeah,
0: I love it. We're gonna close on that, Dr. Frank Lipman. We love you. Thanks Good. for everything you do.
1: Thank you.